Praise God, you guys. He is good. Amen. We have a resurrection uh, flyer we put out that will be out actually coming out. We just got it done. I just wrote a little, I made it into a little track. You ever get those invites to a church where they, you know, happy resurrection or whatever, and, it, and they're cool. But I noticed, I'm like, man, if I was ever going to, if we're going to ever spend money on that, we talked about this year. Yeah, we talked about this year. And we're actually, in fact, you can, uh, yeah, in one moment, in one moment. Thanks, John, Jonathan. Uh, if we're going to spend money, we talked about this year instead of doing missions outside the country, which we do often, or other, other places, which we still do. There's people going to Mexico and so forth, but we're going to spend some money here in Simi Valley and get the gospel out here, amen? And I thought, man, we're going to be doing that all year long. So we're going to be going witnessing, street witnessing, and what have you. So what we did is developed a, tr- a little uh, invite for 93065, the west side of Simi Valley. So it's going to cover tens and tens of thousands of people, which is great, you know? Not that everybody's going to read it, but... Uh, and I made sure that I put the gospel on it. That way people, a lot of people, when they get those things, they just chuck them in the trash. They might read them real quick. A lot of them will. Sometimes they might visit. Hopefully we'll get some visitors. That would be awesome. Amen. But <laughs> uh, I want people to get saved first and foremost, right? That's our goal, right? So I made sure we put the gospel on there. And uh, this will be going out to tens of thousands of uh, homes in Simi. On, on the west side. Maybe next year or a couple years from now, because it's a little pricey, we'll, go to the, we'll do the east side, right? It's not all at once. But hopefully we'll hit every home in Simi Valley, and we're hitting about half of them or more. So let's, Jonathan's going to whip that thing up. He was reminding me, or letting me know we actually had a copy of it. So Tony did the artwork, so it's Resurrection Sunday. Join us for Resurrection Sunday. There's a morning service we do up, up there uh, at the end of, uh, or in Chumash Park, and then we have the, the morning service here at 9.30 a.m. And to the right is the back of it, which is really a strong, just a lot of words from Jesus, just a scriptural witness, you know. Uh, and that's exciting. So praise the Lord. Uh, we, we try to be really, really, the elders and myself, we try to be really, really good stewards of Blessed Hope finances and so forth, but we exist not only to, to reach the lost, amen, and to strengthen the fellowship and make sure we get rooted and, uh, rooted and grounded in God's word. So praise God, that's exciting. And I asked Tony, I said, make sure we get some extras so we can come up, we can go out and send some teams of young people and some of us older people as, as well, I plan on going. And we go to the east side and pass them out because they're not going to get them on the east side, amen? So if you feel like, man, but I might not get one, well, we'll have some here for you too, you know? You can pass them out and be a witness, amen? All right, Father God, again, we pray, and I just reiterate the last prayer. We just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you open our hearts to your word. In your son's name we pray, Amen. So uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 52. Everybody feeling all right? Praise God. Somebody just told me they're just not feeling good at all. And I thought, wow, the sicknesses are still going around. So pray for people. Hopefully that season's ending. Uh, And pray for the young people in the fellowship as well. Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. We're just going to look at the end of 52 and all of 53. And I'm here today, you guys, because... I want one of the things we're doing in our home groups is, you know, some of the home groups we're teaching you how to witness. Because the Bible says God gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the to equip them for the work of the ministry. One of the functions of pastors is to equip the church for the ministry. Amen. That's why you probably always hear me talking about being a, that we're ministers of reconciliation. That we're all priests of the Lord. Amen. There's only one high priest. After the order of Melchizedek, that's Jesus. But we are, we are the living stones built up into his house, and we are a priesthood of believers. And I always emphasize, you are a minister, amen? And we're all called to preach the gospel, amen? Men and women. In fact, those who first shared the resurrected Christ were actually women, sharing with the apostles who were hiding behind the doors, scared, right? And praise God, we're supposed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an exciting reality that we get to do that. But you know what? It's like, uh, this is a message I'm not doing for the home group. I'm doing it for everybody because I think when you witness one of the most powerful scriptures you could possibly use is Isaiah chapter 53. And why am I so excited about Isaiah 53? Well, you just read it and you realize it's in the Old Testament and you realize it's prophecy about the coming Messiah 700 years before Jesus came, all about what he would do, how he would die for our sins, amen? It even uh, imp- uh, imp- implies his resurrection, 
that he'll go beyond the grave and he'll be highly exalted. Mind-boggling, powerful. And not only because I get excited about it and you get excited about it. Those of you who know Isaiah 53, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I get excited about it because the New Testament church, which was all Jewish at first, they were excited about it because it was so clearly about Jesus as Messiah. In fact, this is, this is what blew me away. I did, I've studied this before a number of times. I love this passage. But one time when I studied, I didn't realize it. I started looking up the New Testament references to passages in Isaiah 53, and I was thoroughly blown away. Because guess what? I found out real quick. Wow, Isaiah 53 is quoted or referenced more than any other verses, many other, any other passage in the Old Testament. By far, it's not even close. I mean, Habakkuk, you know, the just shall live by faith. You know, that's an awesome verse. It's mentioned in, I think, Galatians, Romans, and Hebrews three times, you know. But, I, but Isaiah 53 is referenced by the Lord Jesus Christ, his apostles. It's used to witness to Jews, right? But it's also used to with the Ethiopian eunuch, right, in the chariot that Philip runs alongside, right? And, he, and he's actually reading that passage, and he's trying to understand what it means. And Philip says, this just happened right here. Can you imagine that? You know? Uh, so it's such a powerful passage, and I want you to have confidence in sharing it. I also want you to know the main objections you might hear uh, by, say, a, a learned Jew who doesn't understand Jesus to be the Messiah. How you will be able to say, uh-uh, you can't do that. You see, because it's such a powerful witness to Jews regarding who the Messiah is, that Jesus is the Messiah, 700 years before he came. But it's such a powerful witness as well for non-believers, atheists, agnostics, New Agers, those who don't know who Jesus is, those who aren't saved, because you could show them a prophecy 700 years before it was fulfilled. Amen? And a lot of times when I share the gospel, when I witness, I use prophecy. And I think you ought to as well, and maybe you do. In fact, a lot of folks that are in apologetics, I'm shocked that they don't use Bible prophecy more. A lot of really great apologetic ministries, but many of them don't use prophecy as a witness as they ought. But the God of the Bible, in Isaiah, by the way, says that I am the true God, and I declare unto you the end from the beginning. And your false gods, they can't even tell you what has been with my ancient nation, but I prophesy about her future. So in Isaiah, he talks about Israel's future how they'll be decimated. They'll be a diaspora. They'll be brought off to all the different nations. But they'll be brought back and become a country again. And he says, I tell the history and the future of my ancient nation. I tell you the end from the beginning. But he also tells them, and this is good for atheists, agnostics, and Jews that don't know the Lord. He tells them about their nation and how they would reject the Messiah in Isaiah 53. He doesn't just tell us what the Messiah will do. He tells Israel that you're going to reject Jesus when he comes. That's amazing. And it's so powerful. It's so clear that when you go to synagogue and you, they're going through Isaiah, you go through Isaiah. But something really interesting happens. In Isaiah chapter 52, right when it begins to talk about the Messiah in Isaiah 52, they skip that part of the chapter. And then when you get to Isaiah 53, guess what? All about Jesus, Messiah, they skip that entire chapter, guys. And I pick you up in Isaiah 54. Why? It's not an accident. It's not an accident. It's just so amazing. Well, one reason is because Jesus has been rejected by the Jews, of course. But keep in mind, well, how come the Jewish people rejected him? Some Jews may say, well, it's easy. you could say this. Guess what? Not all the Jews did reject him. Amen? In fact, the early Christian church was all Jewish I tell my Jewish people that I witness to, my Jewish friends, I, people I meet and people I know, I say, hey, it's real clear that the whole early church was Jewish. They had to have a church council in Acts chapter 15. That's way into the book of Acts, right? About whether Gentiles could be saved or not, whether non-Jews could become Christians. That's the first church council. You can remember that. And Jesus became a bad word. He's called a sorcerer and a bastard in the Talmud, which is the Jewish writings written after the New Testament, but a lot of that was based on the Jewish traditions. 
And he was rejected. And the name Jesus is in Hebrew Yeshua, right? Which means God saves. But they changed the spelling in the Hebrew. They made it an acronym, Yesu, Yeshua. Not Yeshua, but Yeshua. And the acronym literally translated means, it's, it stands for, may his name, may his memory and his name be obliterated forever. So anything that looks so much like Jesus, synagogue, we'll just skip this passage. Just like we skipped Jesus. So, are you excited to get into the text a little bit? All right. I made my message, man. It's like shorter than normal. It's only nine pages. But you've heard that before. You're like, I thought he said his message is only like seven pages. Now, we'll be, we'll be good. I'm really trying to be on target. So, hey, 10 minutes before Johnny, 15, Jonathan, let me know. You in the back, if you think he missed it, go ahead and do that, you know. But we come here to get in the Word, amen? amen. All right. Praise God, you guys. A lot of people pick it up in Isaiah 53. Don't pick it up in Isaiah 53. Pick it up in Isaiah 52. Go ahead and go to verse 13. I love this, you guys. Praise you, Father. Thank you so much, Father, for giving us such clarity as to who the Messiah would be and who he is. Verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be what? High and lifted up, greatly exalted. Wow. His servants can be high and lifted up, greatly exalted. Just as many were as astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Now this is interesting, you guys, because he's high and lifted up, he's greatly exalted, and people will be astonished at him, even as they were about you, my people. But you know, what's interesting here is when we get in Isaiah 52 and 53, the question is, who is this, this passage talking about? And it, to us as Christians and to the early Jews, and by the way, keep in mind, when many of the Jews rejected Jesus, it wasn't as though Judaism was like one monolithic group. It was made up of several groups. You have to keep that in mind. There are the Essenes, the Zealots, the Herodians, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? There are all these different Jew Jewish groups competing as to who the Messiah even was. They didn't know exactly who he would be and understand the prophecies. But there were all kinds of people, even among, like, for instance, a zealot, right, Matthew, others from these different groups, Paul, a Pharisee, that came to understand that Yeshua, Hamashiach, that Jesus was the Messiah. So even today, there's Reformed Jews, there's liberal Jews, there's conservative Jews, there's all kinds of Jews, New Age Jews, secular Jews, whatever, right? So don't think that all the Jews had one way of thinking about who the Messiah was. In fact, uh, when we look at this passage, it's interesting because there are Jews that understood Isaiah 53 to be referring to the most coming Messiah, just as, long, as well as many other passages of the Old Testament. So he'll be high and lifted up. Verse 14, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was what? His appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So whoever the Messiah is, his form, his visage, has to be marred more than any man's. Who do you, who do you think of when you think of that passage? He was so beat up and brutalized, they smashed his face. They put a, a, a bag over his head, the Roman soldiers, and smashed his face over and over and over again. Saying, prophesy, implying, if you're a prophet, tell us who's punching you. They pulled out his beard, okay? They stuck a crown of thorns on his head and pushed those thorns into his head. His back was torn open like hamburger meat, profusely bleeding. He was more marred than any man. Because the worst way to die at that time was crucifixion. But they didn't just crucify Jesus like they did others. They crucified him, but Pilate beat, had a beat extra. Why did have, you remember why Pilate had a beat extra? He didn't want to kill him. Because he, amen, Jim, he didn't want to kill him. He knew that he was innocent. And he was trying to get him off the hook, so he thought if they he beat him to a pulp, 
you know? Maybe the people have mercy and, and, and say, yeah, let's, let's crucify that Barabbas guy. But no, man, they crucify him. So he was beat up more than other people being crucified. Do you understand that? He was more marred than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. Verse 15. Verse 15 Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Ooh, this, this coming Messiah will sprinkle not just Israel, but who? Many nations. Sound familiar? Amen. Praise you, Jesus. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Amen. For what had not been told them, they will see. And that they had not heard, they will understand. The Magi even came from the east. Kings of nations claimed Christ as the Messiah. Armenia claimed to be the first Christian nation ever. Uh, interesting. Now, before we go into chapter 53, I want to point something out to you. Many Jews, when you're talking to them, first of all, I, 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 was, I was tempted to play it today, but we won't because it'll take a few minutes, and, and, uh, but it's pretty cool. But there's a one for Israel. And if you don't ever hear one for Israel, so far right now, as I speak right now, pretty awesome ministry. Really, really amazing. We have Good Fight Radio, which is 24-7. You can go to Good Fight Radio, and one of the programs you'll hear on there, if you're like, man, I wish there was more solid content on Christian radio, well, go to Good Fight Radio, 24-7. And one of our shows is called One for Israel, done out of Israel by Jewish believers. And I love it. And one of their episodes that you can find on YouTube is there's Jews going up to other Jews, open Isaiah 53, but not telling them it's Isaiah 53 in Tanakh or the Old Testament and reading it to them. And the people will listen, yeah. And they go, yeah, that's, that sounds like Jesus, you know. Yeah, you're right, it is. And then they let them know this is actually from the Old Testament, Tanakh. And the people just get, wow. <laughs> and I found out when I was first witnessing to Jews, uh, not my first witness to Jews, because I witnessed the Jews out here as well, but the first time I actually was witnessing to Jews in Israel, my first Israel trip, I was there in Israel with like 500 different Christians, part of a Calvary Chapel tour, a newer believer. I was not a newer believer. I should say I was a newer pastor, right? My probably late 20s. Doug had been to Israel, and he said, Joe, man, you really got to go. I've been there, I think, five or six times since. And, uh, and I really wanted to go. And Doug was talking about, man, it's like you see the Bible in color after you visit these places. It's amazing. And I went, and I ended up on a Calvary Chapel tour. And we were told that we're not allowed to share the gospel with people, though, because we're on a tour, you know, and we don't get anybody upset and so forth. And I'm not a rebellious person anymore because of Jesus. But I'm rebellious if the words don't match up with his word. And I, I'm, I'm telling people about Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to get in the middle of the tour, stand up on a rock while you guys are, you know, the pastor over there speaking, other power, whatever. But I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And I went to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, told, the, told these Hasidic Jews. With the, and I'd go to Isaiah 53 or other passages, and they didn't have a clue, a lot of them. So what, well, I was told, we only can read the first five books. And I thought, ooh, they're keeping them out. They're not just keeping a lot of these guys from Isaiah 53. They're keeping from Isaiah, period. And Daniel 9, and I, they look cross-eyed. Daniel 9, I go, yeah, it says when the Messiah would be cut off. See, they're told to really memorize as much of the law as they can and, and, and so forth, but they can't even keep the law because there's no temple and it hasn't been there since Jesus was, after Jesus was crucified, right? Because God was done. They can't keep all these things that are, most of the law has to do with the temple sacrifices and everything, right? But they think they're keeping it and they're living a holy life, but the prophets are all about how you can't live a holy life. Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in all the things of the law, but cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And he was hung on a tree for you, so you don't have to hang on a tree. Amen? So you don't have to be, you don't have to be wiped out. So I, was, I love sharing Isaiah 53 with the Jews, but one thing I found out, and you start finding out, the Jews that do understand Isaiah 53, to their understanding, and want to explain it away, and don't want to follow Jesus as the Messiah, they're taught that the suffering servant here is not Jesus. Okay, just understand that. They're taught, no, it doesn't refer to Jesus. It's referring to Israel. Israel is the one who's suffering here. The Jews are suffering, which makes no sense at all when you go through text. But keep in mind, there, there's desperation. There's desperation as to avoid Jesus here, which breaks my heart for the Jewish people. Pray for the Jewish people. 
Breaks my heart because the one who loves him made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Who died to pay for their sins. To save them is being rejected by them, and the enemy has blinded their eyes. The Bible says if our gospel is hid, it's hid because the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just before that, it says there's a veil over Israel at this time. They're blinded. But Romans chapter 11, right? Verses 18 through 24 says that, that when the Messiah comes, all Israel shall be saved. Amen? That remnant, those who, who are crying out for Yahweh, they'll see him and they'll, under, they'll recognize he's Jesus. So it's really, really powerful. This is, in fact, if somebody says, well, why didn't the Jews believe in Jesus? Well, I say, number one, a lot of them did. Okay? Number two, it says that the nation itself would reject him, and that's prophesied in the Jewish scriptures. That's a fulfillment of Scripture too. Are you with me? Amen. These are things you keep in mind. But this is what's amazing. Israel cannot be the servant that suffers here. Why? Because it's very clear the servant that suffers here suffers for the sins of Israel. Look at chapter 53, verse 6. All of us, and Isaiah is writing for who? Who's he speaking for? Israel. All of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us. Not, not, there's not a, not a few that haven't. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, to emphasize every Israelite, each of us has turned to what? His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to what? To fall on Him. Amen? And I'm going to spend a little bit of time today because guess what? Isaiah is one of those passages that is so deep, so powerful, so beautiful, so robust. One Sunday does not do it justice, especially when you're starting with 52. But I don't want to do a five, six, seven part message on it. And someday, hopefully we will. I want to just go through it pretty quickly. I mean, for us anyway. And I want to actually give you evidences that you can use when the objection comes up. Well, the suffering servant has to be, is probably Israel right there. Ooh, well, right, verse three, verse six is just puts a nail in that. You only need that one nail to nail that coffin shut. But I'm going to give you more. Okay? Uh, so when you go back now to verse 13, what does it say of the Messiah of chapter 52? It says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be what? High and lifted up, greatly exalted. That language in Isaiah, to be high and lifted up, to be greatly exalted, is used of guess who? It's never used of the Jews in general. It's used of Yahweh. It's used of the Lord. It's used of God. In fact, go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And when you get there, go ahead and pick it up at verse 1. Famous passage that you're, a lot of you are aware of, Isaiah 6.1. In that year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. What? Lofty and exalted. What's some other translations? High and lifted up. I think King James is high and lifted up, right? But here it says, the suffering servant will be what? High and lifted up. And then it says, then it goes on to say, exalted. And he says, and the train of his robe was filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. And two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And by the way, this passage, right? Isaiah's like, go and send me, right? This passage is quoted in John chapter 12. And it says that this is what Isaiah saw when he saw Jesus' glory. Isn't that interesting? The New Testament tells us that Isaiah saw Jesus on the throne before he had become a man. And he is holy, holy, holy. None of us are high and lifted up. 
None of us are to be exalting ourselves. Amen? Don't be high and lifted up in your mind. I always tell you, you know, be humble before God. Amen? In fact, I want to encourage you guys that when you think of the, the, the servant, keep in mind, he pays for the sins of Israel. Right? Can't be Israel. Right? What else? He is high and lifted up. He is exalted. Amen? Now listen. We have to make sure we remain humble. Amen? God gives grace to who? The humble. But he resists who? He resists the proud. Amen? Make sure, Lord, help us all be humble before God and before men. Amen? Otherwise, God will humble you before God and before men. Because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've encouraged you over and over again. I just did a message last week where the Lord says, What do you know but that which, what do you have but that which you've received? Amen? Everything we have is a gift from God. Amen. Amen? And I always say, the only thing I can take credit for in my life, Joe Schimmel, is my sin. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father in heaven. Amen? Amen? So when you're dealing with other people, it's important with God and with other people that we recognize we're saved by grace. Any knowledge that we have, any gift we have is from the Lord. When you're looking at people that have different beliefs in you, don't think that you're better than them or higher than them or more holy than thou because you've received truth from God. Amen? Amen. It's by God's grace that we go. Amen? So we need to be humble. That means that when you have people and you're debating them even on theology, you do it as a family member if they're a believer, right? And there are issues that aren't the main issues, like Jesus being the Son of God, right? The virgin birth, the Bible being the Word of God, right? Those things are very important. To, we, if, you, if you deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you deny that He's God in the flesh, right? You deny you're saved by grace through faith. Those are outside the pill of Christian orthodoxy. You can't be a Christian. So we don't treat those folks as brothers, but we love them. As sinners that Christ died for, we don't think that we're the special, holy, elect people and God didn't, doesn't love them. No, we recognize, we humble ourselves and recognize God died for them. Even he died for me, amen? And those who uh, share our beliefs and they're other Christians, but they differ on the time of the rapture or they differ on, you know, uh, you know the, the time in the millennium, stuff like that. We talk to them as family members, amen? Well, no, dad said he's coming back before the seven years. No, dad's coming, said he's coming back after the seven years or in the middle. Those are important discussions. No, we're not dad, but when Jesus is coming back, amen? You know, but we don't divide over them as far as brothers and sisters go, amen? So we got to be humble. But guess what? The only one who is high and lifted up, highly, highly lifted up and, and exalted and gives his life for the Israel is not any of us and not any Jew. In fact, how do we know this? In fact, go to Isaiah chapter 33, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 33. Verse 10. You guys on the phones are beating me there, right? <laughs> now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be what? Exalted. Now I will be what? Lifted up. In fact, it's interesting. Go to Isaiah 2. Back up. I wasn't sure I was going to even share this passage, but hey, we're, it's all oh, this is Isaiah. It's pretty easy to turn to. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 2. Look at verse 17. He's talking about the day of the Lord here. Land also has been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end of their treasures. Oh, I'm sorry. 17. Like that doesn't sound familiar. 17, I'm sorry. The pride of man will be what? Humbled. And the loftiness of men will be what? abased, and the Lord, what? Alone will be exalted in that day. By the way, some people think the day of the Lord is a seven-year tribulation period. Mm -hmm. The Antichrist is exalted more than anybody. It says no one will be exalted in the day of the Lord, only the Lord, because it's when he comes back. And it becomes the day, of the, the day of man is the seven-year tribulation period. That's the number of man, is the number of the beasts, and everybody's taking it. The Lord comes and destroys the Antichrist and begins the day of the Lord. And only the Lord will be exalted on that day. But I love the language in Isaiah. He keeps emphasizing that he alone is high and lifted up. He alone is exalted. In fact, go to Isaiah chapter 51. Or chapter 50. Let's go to chapter 50. If you're visiting today and you're like, man... I usually just hear a verse or two, and then the pastor just cracks a couple jokes and tells a story or two, then we go. Yeah, you leave just 
Maybe you know a new joke, but you don't necessarily leave knowing the Word of God. You go, this is more like a Bible study. Amen, man. That's why we get together. We, we, we serve Jesus, man. We long, to hear from, we long to hear from Him and about Him by His Spirit. Amen. And I'm just a guy, man, that shares His Word. And that way we know the Word and we know how to share the Word and we're equipped to win the lost. And our faith is strengthened. But if you look at chapter 50, verse 2, this is right before 52 and 53, by the way. Or verse 1, we'll, uh, we'll, start, we'll just read verse, 52, verse, verse 2. Why was there no man when I came, when I called? Why was there none to answer? Is my hand too short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea. And with my rebuke, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. So he says his arm, his hand is strong, right? He can deliver. Keep that in mind because I'm there for a reason. Now go to Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the Lord, or I'm sorry, for thus says who? The high and what? Exalted one. There's only one who's high and exalted, who lives forever, whose name is holy. That's him. I dwell on high and, and holy, in a holy, I dwell on a high and holy place. Remember, Isaiah saw him high and lifted up, right? And also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. The true believers that, that put their, my, their faith in him are lowly, are contrite, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Wow. Now it's amazing because he's the only one that's to be exalted. Amen. Now go back to Isaiah 52 that we're in. Like, man. And when you get back to Isaiah 52 and you pick it up at verse 13, behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at, my, at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Wow. This is amazing. Because it gets, it gets, it gets crazier. It gets really awesome. Now look at uh, 52.10. Back up to chapter 52, verse 10. You're in verse, chapter 52, look at verse 10. The Lord has What? The Lord has bared his holy arm. He's basically showing his biceps, man, and his triceps, okay? In the sight of what? All the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see what? The salvation of our God. There's something that this high and exalted one is doing, right? In bearing his holy arm to bring forth salvation, not just for Israel, but for who? All the nations. Now go to chapter 53, verse 1. This famous, so, you know, incredibly popular passage. Verse 1. Who has believed our message? Isn't that interesting? Who has believed our message? Meaning not everyone's going to believe it. Many Jews don't understand it. And to whom has what? The arm of the Lord been revealed. So the high and lifted up and exalted one is going to bear his arm and his arm will be revealed. Is his arm Israel? No. In fact, it's interesting. Go to Isaiah 51. 51. It's easy to turn to a lot of scriptures when a lot of them are in the same book, okay? If I do that and they're everywhere, I just have to hear paper room and I have to talk while people are going. I still do that sometimes, but I reference a lot of scriptures. I quote a lot of scriptures. I don't have to always turn there. But Isaiah chapter 52, I'm sorry, 51 verse 5. 51 verse 5. My righteousness is near, not Israel's. My salvation has gone forth. And my what? Arms will judge the people. The coastlands will wait for me. And for what? My arm. My arm, they will wait expectantly. Not just Israel. The coastlands. Isn't that interesting? 
Now in 52.10, right, which is a messianic prophecy, we saw that he will bear his arm and bring forth salvation, right? Go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Verse 15 and 16. Yes, truth is lacking. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're, we're good. Now the Lord saw, and, was dis, and, it was dis, and it was what? Displeasing in his sight. That there was no what? There was no justice in Israel. Verse 16. And he saw that there was what? No man. No one to stand in the gap. No righteous man to stand up for God's people. There was not one. No one. No man. And was astonished that there was what? No one to intercede. Well, what's God going to do then? What, if, if he can't find a man to intercede, what's he going to do? The end of verse 16. Then his own what? His own arm brought salvation to him. And his righteousness upheld him. Back now to chapter 53. Verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the what? Arm of the Lord been revealed. No Jewish man, no, not the nation of Israel. It's referring to who? Who's the one who's high and ex ex lifted up? Who's the only one who's exalted? Who's the one revealing his arm because he can't find any man to do it? Jesus. Yahweh himself. Are you with me so far? I wanted to emphasize a lot of points. So I thought, I want this message to be shorter because I want to camp out on certain points and I want you to make sure you, you're, you're with me and you get it. Sometimes you get a ma some major points, but sometimes we'll move kind of quick and you'll miss some things. I want you to get this because it's so important. Now let's go to Isaiah 53 and start to work our way through the text a little bit. Isaiah 53, <laughs> it's talking about revealing the arm of the Lord, right? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. So this highly exalted one, this, this arm of righteousness will be like a tender shoot because there's prophecies about how the Messiah will be the root and the shoot of David. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. When he came the first time, did he come on a white horse in fire with holy angels? Announcing his coming? No, he came riding on a what? Riding on a donkey. Nor appearance that we should what? Be attracted to him. It's letting us know that when the Messiah comes and God reveals his strong arm, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily laden or heavily burdened. I will give you rest for your souls, right? Why? And he says, what? My burden is light, right? My yoke is easy. He says, come and learn from me. I am meek or humble. God came to show us not only how to live life as humble people before him, but because he became a man. But God himself is not an arrogant person. He made everything. And now he's honest. I made it all. You should be following me, right? If you don't follow me, you're doomed because I'm the light and I'm the life. I'm everything, right? Well, right here we say, see that he had no appearance, no appearance that should be attracted to him. Verse 3, he was despised and forsaken of men. The Bible says in John 1, verses 9 through 11, or verse 11, I think it is, he came to his own, but his own received him not. And even though he made the world, the world did not receive him. They didn't know him. He was despised and forsaken of men. His own family had rejected him at first. That is at least his siblings, right? His own disciples forsook him. His own disciples forsook him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of what? A man of sorrows. Remember Jesus weeping over the multitudes? And acquainted with grief. And like one whom men hide their face. He was despised. It says they hated him without a cause. He was despised and we did not what? We did not esteem him. You guys know what's going on here? This is really heavy. This is such a heavy prophecy, okay? But there's something you need to know about this prophecy that'll make you appreciate it even more. It's not just that the Messiah would be rejected by his own people, that he would not be esteemed by his own people. 
But what we're reading right here at this point now is a prophecy of the very words the Jews will use when they see the Messiah and realize they crucified their Messiah. It's amazing enough to realize, wow, it says they'd reject him. And that's powerful, right? And of course, he's become a cuss word, Yeshua. May his name be blotted out. May his memory and name be blotted out or obliterated forever, Yeshua. But he's not Yeshua, he's Yeshua, God's salvation, the arm of the Lord. And it's crazy, but it's, it's not. It's totally true that we're reading words now as to what the Jews will proclaim when they realize the one we called Yeshua, may his name and memory be blotted out forever. The one we rejected and thought was a false Messiah. We didn't esteem him. We weren't attracted to him. And this is based on we just went through Joseph's prophecy, amen? And how Joseph is a picture of Christ. Remember we looked at 40 or 50 different pictures of Joseph's life that mirrored Christ? And I didn't even get through all of them, guys. There's a lot more. Maybe on a Wednesday night, we'll go through all of them. Just boom, 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 boom. But I'll tell you what, man. His brethren, who represented the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Because they're the children of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. His sons, they rejected him. And their descendants represent Israel. It was later that they saw Joseph when they were begging for bread and they realized they needed help. And remember, they went to Egypt and he was at the right hand of Pharaoh and all authority had been put under him just as Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and all authority in heaven and earth is given to him, Matthew twenty-two eighteen, 18, amen? And what's going to happen? <laughs> they saw Joseph who they rejected, remember? And they were blown away that he was being so gracious to them. And Benjamin starts weeping, and there's weeping. Uh, Joseph himself goes away, and he represents Christ, and he's weeping so hard because he's going to forgive them and give them bread. Well, Jesus is the bread of life. And that bread, and we'll do communion later, is going out to millions and millions of people every Sunday, amen? And one day all Israel will be saved, amen? amen. It's really, really amazing. What's a trip about that is well, it's a trip because they will see him, but they won't ever do communion after that. Why? Because we do this in remembrance of what he did for us. We take the, 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 the bread, and unleavened bread, and do it in remembrance of him, right? But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, we do it until he comes, right? But Jews, the Jews, when Jesus returns, they see him, he's come. There's no more communion. They don't need to do remembrance of him. They see him. They see his wounds. And they're just blown away for eternity. Wow. But it's interesting because this is a prayer uh, that this is, this is a confession that we rejected our Messiah. We rejected our Messiah. In fact, it's interesting because if you keep reading it, verse 2 we just looked at, right? Verse 3 we looked at. Verse 4 says... Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he what? He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. We thought God wiped him out. We thought God just wanted to be rid of this Jesus Messiah and he was crucified. We just thought, you know, God was doing his thing. Well, God was doing his thing, but he wasn't, he wasn't smiting Messiah because he deserved it. The Messiah was smitten of God. That's the irony here. Isn't that interesting? God poured out his wrath on him, as we'll see later in Isaiah as well. I think this is so full of irony, right? Their very Savior, the one they reject, in his dying is dying to save them, and then they think he's smitten of God, and he was smitten of God, but not because he was evil, but because you were evil, and you were going to pay for it, he's going to pay for it for you. Are you with me? <laughs> Blow mind. okay? First time I ever saw that. I know he was crushed earlier, later it says by God, but I never realized there was an irony right there. We thought he was smitten of God. I'm like, yeah, I always understood they misunderstood him. I'm like, wait a minute. He was smitten by God. <laughs> You're right. But for the wrong reasons. Not because he was sinful, but because the nation was sinful and the human race is sinful and they needed the Messiah to die for him. That's how I just blow mine. That is a blow mine. Okay. Uh, we, th we ourselves esteemed him stricken. That's how Israel thinks of Jesus right now. He's rejected because he was a false Messiah. Uh, we, smitten of God and afflicted. 
But look at verse 5. But he was what? He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities because of our sins. Amen? That's why he was crushed. Wow. And what am, I, what am I saying when I'm saying this is a prayer, this is a confession? What scripture suggests that they'll make some kind of confession regarding Jesus when they realize who he is? Well, first of all, are there any scriptures that talk about how the Messiah would be pierced in the Old Testament besides right here, Isaiah 53? We only need Isaiah 53, but is there any more? Psalm 22. Someone's mentioned Psalms, right? That's right. Psalm 22, 16. For, and this is, begins, the psalm begins, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which Jesus quotes on the cross to let us know that that psalm is about him ultimately. Amen. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That's exactly what the Romans did, the Roman soldiers. Amen. You'll never find that happening in David's life. People taking his clothes and casting lots for them and all that. His hands and feet being pierced because he spoke of Messiah. Where else does it talk about him? It talks over and over again, at least a few times about him being pierced. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. This is a very, very wonderful passage to use when you're witnessing the Jewish folks. When I was witnessing to my wife's Jewish doctor who moved, I think part of it's because I witnessed to him so much when I'd go there. Doc, Dr. Tenenbaum, he had the yarmulke on, you know, and I loved him. We loved him. And we spent a lot of time sharing with him. And I've referenced that re recently, but it was cool. And when I shared Zechariah 12.10 with him, he didn't believe it was in the Old Testament. He couldn't believe it. And I had to prove it to him. And he had nothing to say because he's, I, I go, man. And remember, he's the guy I told some of you before that he had a big picture in his office because there was the office where he looks at you, right? But then there was his office where he sits and does his paperwork or whatever. And I knew the picture because I walked by it before and I saw that picture in his office. And it was a picture that I had at my house. And the reason I bought that picture at my house is because you can't see it, but the tree, when you start, when you look at it, the tree, and there's a disciple under the tree reading the scriptures, an Old Testament scroll. So it looks like it's a Jewish picture of an old, or, or a Jewish guy just reading a, a scroll of whatever. It's called the disciple, hand-drawn picture, but it's, my wife let me have that for years up above our fireplace until we moved, and then she just decided that wasn't fitting anymore. Uh, she, got, she got tired of it, you know, changed the house around a little bit. But I love that picture, man. And you know what? He had it because I noticed that picture on a book one time when I was reading a book, and I, I picked that picture was on a book, and I was, I was going like this. I was laying in bed. It's time to go to sleep. My wife, can you please turn off the lights now? Okay, baby. And I'm going like this, and all of a sudden I see the image of the tree above the disciple that he's leaning against all the foliage and the leaves, total picture of Christ, kind of a side view. That, that what, what's supposed to be a picture that we see of Jesus a lot. Like, I'm like, what in the world? This guy worked Jesus' face into this picture. And then I found the picture online and ordered it and framed it and put it in the house. Well, he had that picture, my Jewish Orthodox Jewish, her Orthodox Jewish doctor. So a little more understanding where that came from. And we're walking out after I told him all about Jesus and we're walking, and I said, you know, Dr. Tenenbaum, once you see Jesus in the Scripture, you can't unsee him in the Old Testament. He's everywhere. It's like, ah, oh, you know. And I go, just like that picture right there. What if I showed you that you can see Jesus in that picture right there? It's like, he looks. I go, look. He sees it. <laughs> I wish I could say he fell on his knees and said, wow, Joe, this all makes so much sense. But the next time we went, I looked in his office. It peeked in. It's gone. Picture was gone. Not behind his desk anymore. I was bummed. And he said, I'm moving to New York. So I think I chased him away. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's not a picture on a wall that's going to help you, but it was a scripture in the pictures in scripture, like Joseph's brethren rejecting him and then seeing the one they pierced. Well, look, at this is the Old Testament. This is Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Let's go ahead and look at Zechariah uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Now, you might go up to verses 1 and 2 and go ahead and just read verses 1 and 2 real quickly. And who's talking here? Verse 1. Who's talking? The Lord who what? Stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. God, the creator, amen? But you look at verse 10, and what does it say? I will pour out on the house of David, that's the Jews, in the house of David, from the Davidic line, 
And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, not just David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. God's going to have ma- grace on them. He's going to have mercy on them, right? So that they, so what, what? So that who? They, that's Israel, will look on me. Who's that? Whom they have pierced. If you, in my translation, the me, the M is capitalized, okay? Because they understand it's referring to God himself. They'll look on me, whom they have pierced. But just because they capitalize it doesn't mean it's him. You've got to look a little more closely. Me, whom they have pierced. And they will what? Mourn for him as one what? Mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, like mourning of Hamadrimmon in the plain of Megiddo, because that's where it's going to happen at Megiddo, Armageddon. And, and, and in that area in Israel. The land will mourn. Every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves and the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves and the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives and, and it goes on, the Shimeites and, and so forth. All these different tribes. Now, brothers and sisters, how do we know who they is that mourn? Go back up to verse 10. It's very clear. It says who it is. I will pour out, I will pour out on the house of who? David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The spirit of grace and of supplication. So that they, they is speaking of Israel. They are going to see who? Me, whom they pierced. Who is me? Back up to verse 4. You see who me is? Verse 4. In that day declares who? Declares the Lord. I will strike every horse with bewilderment and the rider with madness. And he's going to protect Jerusalem when she is surrounded by all these hostile nations at Armageddon that want to destroy her. But who's talking? Who's talking? Verse 4, I, in that, in that day, what? Declares the who? Lord. Lord. In your English translation, every letter of Lord is what? Capitalized. Why? Do you remember? Why? Why? YHWH, amen, because it's Yahweh. Whenever the, the Tetragrammaton, which is speaking of Yahweh, the name of God himself, who, verses 1, creates everything, he's the one who says, they will look upon me, Yahweh, who created the heavens and the earth, whom they have pierced. By the way, you're, looking, you're witnessing to a Jew? Oh, we don't believe Jesus is God. Oh, Zechariah 12.10, do you believe that refers to Jesus? Oh, yeah. Well, guess who's talking? Verse 1, he created the heavens and the earth. Verse 4, Yahweh declares this, and Yahweh's still talking. There's no break in the passage. And then Yahweh says, they'll look upon me whom they pierced. When did they pierce Yahweh? When Yahweh became a man and died for our sins on the cross. Are you with me today? Now, what's going to happen? What's the result of, of their seeing? Must, so they're going to be crying. What's going to happen, guys, is the Antichrist and the nations of the world are going to surround Israel, right? try to do the last of God's people in. They're hiding in the wilderness and so forth. And Christ comes in the clouds of glory. Amen. And Israel's crying out to Yahweh because they're realizing they can't put their trust in the United States or any other nation at that point. All the nations have turned on them. Yahweh, save us! Yahweh, they're repenting finally. They've been brought to their knees. It says a nation will be saved in a day, man. A nation will be born in a day. They'll be born again, man. Crying out to Yahweh. And they'll see Yahweh. But when they see Yahweh, what are they going to see? The one they pierce, his hands and his feet. And it's, this is Yeshua. Well, this Yeshua, that's who it is, not Yeshua. The one we said, may his memory and his name be blotted out forever. He's our Messiah. Wow. The one we pierced is the Messiah. Are you with me? It's such a blow mind. And look at verse 10 again. And I'll pour out. On the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. He's going to help them come to the point where they're supplicating, where they're crying out, where they're praying. They're crying out to God for, for help because they recognize he, he's going to show up, and he does. And they see the one that they pierce, and they mourn for him at the end of verse 10. As one mourns for who? <laughs> and they mourn for him as one what? As they will mourn for him as one mourns for what? An only son. Trip out. It moves from me to him because me, Yahweh, is going to become him, the Messiah. Amen? Amen. Are you still with me? Amen. Wow. And what's going to happen? He's going to cleanse them from their sins. He'll turn ungodliness from Jacob, it says in Romans chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. 
In fact, look at verse, chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, a what? A fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For what? For sin and impurity. They'll be confessing their sins. Yahweh, Yeshua, we pierced you. We didn't realize it. Have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins. We thought you were stricken by God. We rejected you. You had no beauty or that we'd be attracted to you when you first came. But look what's going to happen. Chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoil will be taken and so forth. And it goes on to say that he will touch his feet on, look at verse 4, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west. And there will be a very large valley. And it goes on and on. That's the second coming. Amen. So they're going to see him whom they pierced. Now go back to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Lord, you are just so good. We love you so much. Wow, you are so amazing. Now keep in mind, and I think this is really amazing, when they saw Jesus on the cross, there was a pre-fulfillment of this, okay? When they saw Jesus on the cross in John chapter 19, and we're celebrating our Christ, Christ's death and resurrection this coming two weeks, right? We're already celebrating. We're already talking about it, man. Last week, I started early, man. We had a whole message on God's grace and how he casts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, casts them behind his back as far as the east is from the west. Amen. Tramples them underfoot. That if you're in Christ, we're saved by his grace through faith. Hallelujah. Amen. And here, but listen, when they saw him on the cross, guess what many of the Jews were saying? Or guess what John says about them? Verse 37, they shall look upon me whom they pierced. John says that was being fulfilled. Now, it wasn't ultimately fulfilled because here in Zechariah, it speaks to the whole nation, right? But already they were seeing the one they pierced. And I love the way John puts it. They will look on him whom they pierced. He rolls the me and the him into one. He shows that the me is the him. And the him is the me. But guess what? When the Lord comes back at Armageddon, right? And Israel's crying out, save us from the Antichrist. Save us from this wicked guy who's claiming to be Yahweh in the temple. Save us. And all the nations are gathered together to fight against the Lamb. When Christ comes, they see he is the Lamb of God. We read in Revelation 1-7, at that time, long after the cross, still in the future, verse 7 says, Behold, he, meaning Jesus, comes with the clouds, and what? Every eye shall see him. Every eye. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And then the next verse, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the Almighty God. Jesus, the one they see, is the Almighty God, but he's also the coming Messiah. Now pick it up at verse 6. The chastening of our well-being, this is Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 6. The chastening of our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we are what? Healed. All of us like sheep have what? Gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. That's true knowledge of the Jews, but all of us, amen? But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, amen? He died in our place. Verse 7. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet we did not open, he did not open his mouth. He, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Jesus did not protest and say, how dare you try to kill me? Don't you realize who I am? In fact, Pilate had to just badger him to get him to say anything. Right? But he wasn't defending himself. Remember Philip, you know, I'm sorry. Remember John in John 1, 29, the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was like a sheep before his shearers. In fact, Jesus said, when they said, Why aren't you defending yourself, basically? He says, Aren't you aware? He says, and this is Matthew 26. He says in verses 53 through 54, Aren't you aware that I could call 12 legions of angels and they could rescue me? Right? But then he went on to say, In that case, how should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must take place like this, in this way? In other words, I could call 12 legions of angels to, to, to rescue me, but I'm here to die, amen, to give myself. In fact, it says when the chief priest, and, and uh, they falsely accused him before Pilate, it says Jesus, quote, made no answer, quote, end quote, Matthew 27, 11 through 14. He was like, nope, I'm here to die. That's my purpose, the reason I've come, right? Verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for, as for his generation, who considered it? Who considered it, guys? They would miss it, it's saying. It's right there. They'd miss it. 
But what are they confessing? We thought he was smitten by God. But we realize now that iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Look at what it says in the middle of verse 8. That he was cut off. He was cut off. He was killed out of the land of the living. That means death. That means cut off. That means killed. The Messiah would be cut off. For the transgression of my people. It was for his own people. To whom the stroke was due. Right? The stroke was due to them. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with rich men in his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So man, there was wicked men left and his right being crucified, right? He's born in a rich man's tomb, Joseph Arimathea, amen? Verse 10, but the Lord has ple- was pleased to crush him. The Lord was what? Pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. So he was smitten by God. God's wrath fell upon him. God became a man, and God the Father poured out his wrath on the, on the Son. Thus saith the Holy Scripture, Okay, those who reject that Jesus took God's wrath for us are rejecting clear testimony of Scripture. Okay, he was crushed for us. It says in verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. And man, when you get crushed, you get crushed. He was crushed on that cross. That's why he's more marred than any man. Oh, when I was watching the grandchildren this week and little Galilee, she's only three and she can talk. She's talking better now, and she, but it's just so cute when little ones talk. You guys know when you've got little children or grandchildren and they're trying to talk and, and she talks and she brings in a roly-poly and I'm sitting at my desk and she goes, look, Pop-Up, I found a roly-poly that's crushed. And I look at her hand and it's like smash. I'm like, oh. She goes, and then she confessed. She goes, I crushed it. I crushed the roly-poly. I'm like, oh. I go, don't kill those. Try not to kill those. And if it's a spider inside, you could kill it. But try not to kill those roly-polies out there. She goes, and she goes, and it's never going to have babies pop up. You know? <laughs> I was like, I was uh, so funny. And I said, you know what? You, can you go flush that down the toilet, honey? You know? Because she said, it might still be alive. I didn't look like it. I'm like, and I didn't want to suffer more. I go, and she looked like she was taking it out. I go, no, no, throw that in the toilet. She went through the toilet. But you know what? Jesus was crushed more than that roly-poly, okay? And he rose from the dead, man. They couldn't flesh him. Amen. He died, but he rose again. 5310b. Uh, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he died for our sins as guilt offering. He will see his, now I love this, he's not going to stay dead. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will what? Prosper in his hand. Amen. So guess what? It wasn't like it just Jesus was at the wrong place at the wrong time. It just happened to him. No, he came to die for our sins. He came to die for you and rise so he can make you and me righteous. Amen. In fact, look at verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will what? He will see it and be what? Satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one. My servant will justify the many. That means he'll make many right with God because of his righteousness. As he will what? Bear their iniquities. Amen. The righteous one gave himself from the unrighteous. Let no one tell you, oh, Israel's the righteous one. We're the righteous servant. You know what it says of Israel? God gets that cleared up right from the very beginning. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, listen to what it says of Israel. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, raw wounds. Guys, Israel from head to toe is sinful. That's why the righteous man, the one that's high and lifted up, right? The arm of the Lord must save us and must die in our place for and bear our sins. And the scriptures say, really clearly, really clearly, that he became, he's a suffering servant, guys. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, don't consider equality with God. He didn't consider something with equality with God, something to be held on to, but he became a man. It was made in the form of a servant, amen. And he died a death, and not just a death, the death on the cross, Paul says. And that, then it goes on to say what? For this reason, verse 9, God highly exalted him. Sound familiar? He's a highly exalted one. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there's a great promise right after God says, Israel, you're sick from head to toe. 
He says in verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey. Amen. Amen. And it says in Isaiah 53 that there was no guile found in him. He's the one that's righteous. Was there no guile found in Israel? No, they're sick from head to toe, just like every other nation, just every other person. But he says, come to me, right? And he'll give us rest. He says, come and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be what? As white as wool and as white as snow. Amen? You guys, did it go fast? It was just me. It's like, man, it's like, man, Lord, I always want more. But let's all please stand as we pass out the cup and the bread. What an awesome God we have.